that way. So anyway, if you still have your trees up and your lights on, so do we. So welcome to the club. Um, I think the beginning of each year is usually for a lot of people, for most people, I find a good rhythm of thinking about in, in hopeful anticipation what this year could look like. And so we're, we're starting a new series today called, called Set Apart, where we want to talk about um, how God invites us to come closer to him, to be set apart from even our n- normal routines and rhythms. Because how many of you know and have experienced, that's what, those are what, what resolutions are. You want to kind of break the cycle of what's normal. You want to get out of the, the rut sometimes, or at least the regular routine. Uh, you want to go to the next level. You want to do better. You want to be better. And so God actually invites us into that kind of thinking. And I think for us, uh, because, you know, they, uh, in, in the ancient Near East did not celebrate our calendar like we do. But for us here in middle America, I think is a good time for us to, to partner with the, the cultural rhythms of just thinking about what does it look like for, for this year to hopefully be different. Now, the thing is, the question is, will this be your best year ever? Maybe. Will this be the best you ever? Maybe. I don't know, actually. Um, I, there, there are lots of people that will sell you a five-step program to the best you yet. I don't have that. I don't find that they work. For me, anyway. Maybe they work for you. Maybe you have a five-step financial freedom plan that we all need to partake in. But usually, I think that's more of a life hack. I think that's more of a shortcut. And how many of you t- are tired about being on the merry-go-round of hoping that things are going to be so much better at the beginning of the year and then kind of like getting to December and feeling like you're, you're crawling across the finish line. And thank God we have that week between Christmas and New Year that feels like nothing gets done because nothing's supposed to get done. And I just need that week of no expectations. Even if you have, you, you know, you have a full-time job and you go to work and like nobody really expects anything. Not that you're underperforming. It's just like, that's just how it is. But thank goodness for just a, a sigh of relief, right? How many of you feel like that? Don't raise your hand because I know that's that's just most of us. So I don't, I don't have a five-step program to get you off the merry-go-round, but I don't think it's cynical to just, to just name that and say, I don't think there are any shortcuts. What we've signed up for is the long game and God. And this year, what I can guarantee you is there are going to be some high points and there are going to be some low points. And you're going to walk and navigate through each one of those. That's what I know. My hope is that we can lean into God together, that we can build a support system that's stronger this year, and you can become more resilient so you can celebrate the highs and not have the whisper of like the catastrophic, okay, what's next? I'm sure something is going to come and knock my legs out from under us. But also like the lows don't just completely knock you down for days or weeks at a time. And you can actually from that low point look up and go, well... I guess the next step, the only step I have is up, and that's at least a good thing to hope for, right? That the lows won't be as low, the highs will be celebrated just for the gift and the grace that they are. That's my hope for us this year. And so what I want to look at, and what I want to name, is that a lot of times we're in an in-between space. 2023 is in the rearview mirror, like 
Some of us are still paying on the credit card bills, so it's not completely... You can't leave everything in 2023, right? The you that showed up in 2024 is the same you that showed... You know, you may have gone to the gym a couple times this last week, but you're working off... Well, I smoked pecan pie for uh, Christmas. It was delicious. I'm paying for it, but I, I don't mind. It was totally worth it, right? But the you that you show up with is the you that you left with, right? And so we're in a liminal space is what, what scholars, what people talk about and write about. An in-between, an already and a not-yet space. 2024 is here. We're not quite over 2023. It's a liminal, like, I'm looking forward with hope and... There's still some stuff kind of hanging on me that I would like to let go of, including those credit card bills. I would like to let go of the, the couple extra pounds that I put off. I would like to let go of, you know, staying up too late and doom scrolling because I was so anxious. I would like to let go of some of these mental health problems or physical health problems. And I'm just, I have some, some meds. I have some doctor's appointment. I have the new gym membership. I have the thing, but I'm not seeing the results just quite yet. How many of you relate to being in already and the not yet, the liminal space of being in between. That's kind of what this feels like. I think that's what Justin mentioned. You know, when he's like, I feel like I'm still just kind of waking up. Like that's, that's that experience of the liminal space. Uh, it's a place of tension. It's a place of transition. You feel kind of the gnawing, the, the, come on, will this just not change? Like, oh, 2024 isn't going to be like last year again, is it? It's that, that tight spot of like something's got to give. And a lot of times, a lot of times that's what motivates us for change. That liminal space can actually be a gift from God that motivates us to finally surrender, finally take that next step, finally go, I just can't do another year on the merry-go-round like last year, right? Actually, many cultures have rituals to help initiate Young people into the next stage of life. Because if you think about, like, think about the teenage years. The teenage years are the already and not yet. Like, you're, you're not a kid, but you're not an adult. What are you? You're a teen. Congrats. Good luck with that. Right? Some cultures, like, they have these rituals and these rites to help teens introduce them to the journey of adulthood, even though they're not fully there. John and I actually did this. Uh, the, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, we invited his grandfathers and his uncles down to my family, uh, family's land, the original Siders family homestead in Benton between Benton and Tawanda. And, uh, we celebrated him. He had just turned 13. We said, you're not a man. You're kind of a dude. And that's cool. We're great with that. We're going to help you figure out that liminal space of what the teenage years and the hormone spikes and the questions about yourself and girls and your relationship with me and mom. We're going to figure that out together. So many of us that don't have a rite of passage or, or can mark a before and after, we live listlessly. We live like, like, How do I know that I've arrived? How do I know that I've fully left? We, as a culture, don't have a lot of these things. So there are a lot of adolescent adults that are still trying to figure out, like, when is somebody going to come along and give me permission to be and act like an adult? And it never comes. And they try and fulfill that stuff in all the ways that our culture gives them. We need a point 
of crossing over. That's what I want to talk about today is that there is a point. And oftentimes in our life, there are many points that God brings us to. The before and after and the already and not yet is in there somewhere. We actually have phrases for this, right? When God closes the door, he opens a window. We know that, right? But like we also know while acknowledging that that's true, God closes the door and he opens a window. It's hell in the hallway sometimes, right? Like the in-between is like, where did you go? The, the other thing isn't there yet. That is part of crossing over. If you lean into it and if you allow God to do his work in you, then he will surely do it through you. Because what happens when this doesn't fully come in our lives? What happens, think about it, when a neuron doesn't fire in your brain? There's a dysfunction in your mental health or in your body somewhere. When you flip the light switch and the light doesn't come on yet, that's super frustrating because that always happens like in the middle of the night or when you really need that light, that's when it won't come on. Or even that in-between space of like the fire, the smoke detector battery starts to die on you and you get that beep and you can kind of put up with it for, I don't know, how long is the record in your house? It's a couple days, depending on where it is in your house, how close it is to where your spouse sleeps. Like, are you going to change that already? Already. I'll, I'll do it. I'll cross over. I'll commit. Right. But what happens when it hasn't fully come? There's frustration. Right. There's that building tension, that gnawing tension inside of you that I'm not where I'm supposed to be and I can't go back. And so with that, uh, I, I want to look at, at uh, the book of Joshua, uh, chapter one and then chapter three. The Israelites had this same frustration. They had been wandering in the desert for 40 years. Uh, Moses, their leader, had had. Uh, overseen them and, 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 and delivered them from Egypt through the 10 plagues, but they were disobedient. They were, were, were unfaithful to God. And so he, he had them, uh, uh, basically like going around the same mountain in the wilderness. That's literally where we get the phrase of going around the, the mountain again is because the Israelites in the wilderness, there was a generation that did not lean into the Lord and the Lord wanted to take a people to the promised land that were fully faithful to him. So he waited to that, that disobedient generation had passed away. And so at the end of that 40 years, Moses actually passed away and they have this new national leader in Joshua. He was a successful general, but he was untested as the senior leader, as the, he, he had not uh, been proven as a deliverer or someone who could hear God for the nation. And so they're going, they're, they're called to go into the promised land with an untested in this, this kind of venue leader. And they just have to trust God and trust Joshua that, that God is going to show up. And so they come to the edge of the, the wilderness. And on the edge of the wilderness is the river Jordan. And they're standing there and God speaks to Joshua and Joshua then turns and speaks to the nation. He says this, Joshua chapter one, verse 10, Joshua ordered the officers of the people go throughout the camp and tell the people, get your provisions ready, ready yourself. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land. The Lord, your God is giving you for your own. 
chapter 3, verse 2. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp giving orders to the people. When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, God's presence dwelt on the Ark, and they carried that, that box, that Ark, with them wherever they went. And it symbolized and, and, and was a physical presence and manifestations of God's power. So they carried that with them. When you see the Ark of the Covenant uh, of the Lord your God and the Levitical priests carrying it, you are to move out from your positions, from, from your place of safety, the place of the last season, the place of comfort, the place of, you know, that dirt so well. You're to move from that place and follow God. Then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. But keep a distance of about 2,000 cubits between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Joshua told the people, check this out. He told the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priest, take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on ahead to the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. While all Israel passed by until the whole nation had been completed, uh, the crossing on dry ground. So this was sort of a, a, a reminder. It, it, was a, it was a huge miracle, but it was a reminder of the crossing of the Red Sea. It was a callback to a generation earlier, 40 years earlier, where God had delivered them from Egypt. God is basically saying, do you remember when I did that for the nation, the, the nation was, was birthed overnight in that miraculous event. I'm doing that again. We're going through the water. You're going to be cleansed again. You've consecrated yourself, and now you're going to cross over into the land I'm bringing you into. To consecrate means to make or declare something sacred, something set apart for God's use. Here, it's a command to integrate the whole self, spiritual, physical, intentions, speech, that everything about the Israelites were to come into alignment with their identity identity that God had already declared. The Israelites already had a national identity as the people of God. Consecration doesn't make you more appealing or pleasing to God. He doesn't love you more if you consecrate yourselves. But what it does is it puts you into alignment to receive the fullness of what God has already declared about you. To set yourself apart is to be completely surrendered to God and for his purposes so that you can live in fulfillment and flourishing as God designed you. So as you cross over into this new year, realize that there's still 2023 hanging on. It wants to hang on for dear life. Because there is blessing coming to you. There is God's presence coming to your life in a greater measure. And those things that are hanging on that shouldn't be are going to get new life unless they are cut off. They're going to get a second and a third chance. They're going to get the resurrection power that hits your life could hit some of those things that need to fall off and stay in 2023. If you bring it into this new year. That's how powerful God is. When he blesses you, 
There's some things that get a second chance that really should not. And so this is serious business for God to cross over and to be fully consecrated to God so that everything that gets new life is designed to get new life. Do you hear me? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, you don't know what I'm talking about. There are things in our lives that need to go to the cross. They need to be surrendered to God because God's going to do a work. And if we allow those things to drag us down and to stay hitched to us in 2024, it is going to be another season around the mountain. Or you may go, you may go into the new year, but not fully receive what God has for you. And so God is offering us. I, I think multiple times through our lives, I think the beginning of a new year is a time for us to hit delete, to hit reset, and to say fully yes to God. That's what I'm talking about. So I want you to know also, uh, and let me ask you this. Let, let's ask ourselves this. What do you need to let go of? What are those things that are hanging on? What are the habits, the practices that you know that have been dogging you? They've been nipping at your heels for years of your life. It's the one, it's the one little thing. No, nope. ah, everybody else does it. Oh, nobody knows about it. Oh, it's not a big deal. Those are the things. See, when we're early in our faith, we usually take care of the big rocks, like the big Ten Commandments. Do not lie, cheat, steal, honor our father and mother, don't kill people. Check. Got that. No problem, right? But as we go on in our lives, as we continue to follow God, his spirit highlights different impulses, different habits, speech patterns, the intent behind the way a question is asked, the meaning behind why you say something a certain way, the sarcasm, right? The passive aggression, those things in your life. And the Holy Spirit is highlighting those and saying, is this the year that you want to give that to me? Is this the year that you want to surrender that? And I'm inviting you to say yes to him, to start this year fully consecrated, fully surrendered to God so that you could walk in the fullness of what he has for you. So I also want you to see this is that there is power when there is a unity in God's people, when there's corporate surrender and alignment throughout the camp, when a community of God's people come into alignment with God's purposes, there is power that's released. We've seen this all throughout history in the early church on the day of Pentecost when they're fully with one mind and one accord. We see it in in history, the the Moravians in the 1700s, they started a hundred year prayer meeting. Like the fire of God, the presence of God fell because they came together in simplicity of heart to pray together. And God initiated a a prayer meeting that lasted for a hundred years, day and night. It was fueled by a passion for God, for his presence. People that were fully surrendered in their lives and in their hearts, their speech, their actions. And for a hundred years, men and women, young and old, prayed around the clock. When people unite to seek God, he responds in power. And he still does it today. That's not old news. That's not something that happened centuries ago or or 2,000 years ago. That's something that still happens today. The, The power of God, the spirit of God is alive. And when we come into alignment with him, 
He shows up in power. In fact, the, James, the brother of Jesus, says that if you humble yourselves, God will come near. In other words, we can have as much God in our lives as we want to. Those of us who, who humble ourselves, God, that's irresistible to him, and he will draw near to you. Okay, so how do we do this? And I want you to understand the dynamic relationship that God has invited us into. That there are things that only God can do. And that there are things that only we can do. Now, let me mind that out for you for a minute. Let me unpack that. There are things in this universe that only God can accomplish. Creation, sustaining life. Speaking, you know, things into existence, salvation. Only God can accomplish that. And we are in a dynamic relationship so that he says, I've done my job. I have gone to the cross and now you have to walk this out. So there are things that only he, he allows us only to do and he will not do for us. Are you, are you getting this? Do you understand this? This is really actually really important because there, there are these phrases where, where we say, I'm going to let go and let God. Well, what if you're letting go of the wrong things and God's saying, actually, I want you to do that. I want you to follow through on that promise. I want you to walk that out. That prayer, you, you actually need some action in your life. You actually need to take a next step. You need to go see a therapist. You need to take some medication. Whatever that is, go to a doctor. Don't just pray for that. Now, I do believe in miracles. I do believe in the miraculous that God shows up when we ask when we ask him, that he will do more when we ask him to. And yet there are times where, let's just be honest, we kind of get lazy and go, God, I'm just trusting God for that. That's why we need a community that can kind of give us that discerning, like, yeah, I don't know, we'll see about that. <laughs> we'll see if God shows up. And I think I had that same problem, and here's what I did to solve that, right? We need the both and. We need the things that only God can do. Only God can bring people to salvation. And only human beings can apply that salvation and walk it out in holiness, right? Only God can stop the river. And only we can cross over. God will not drag us. He will not carry us if we're able to do it in his grace. You, you see what I'm saying? Justin, I think everybody's still asleep. I think, I think, uh, I think that's really true. Or either that or you just spoke it out and you gave everybody permission. And so we'll talk later. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so sometimes in, especially in a new year, we, we get confused because we think when we, we walk across, everything's going to be taken care of, uh, of for us. But remember when the Israelites came into the promised land, they still had to conquer and subdue. There were still evil people all over the land that they, they went to war against to reclaim their birthright. And, and, and to live in the land flowing with milk and honey. Just because God brings you to a place of crossing over doesn't mean the work is done or that it will be done for you. It will always be a partnership, but we always have to show up to do our work. Realize that things may not happen all at once, but holy habits that build momentum will lead to breakthrough eventually. Right? James Clear says this, and he's the author and speaker. He wrote Atomic Habits. He says this, If you have good habits, time becomes your ally. All you need is patience. What would it look like this year to have such great practices and rhythms and habits in your life that time becomes your ally? 
that, pay, that, that waiting means you just get better and stronger. What if, what if thinking to a year from now doesn't actually deter you from signing up for a gym membership or putting a Bible reading plan in place or whatever that resolution is? It's just that, yeah, I can't wait for those things to compound and to see what I look like and what I act like and what I believe to be true about God at the end of the year because I have all this time to store up momentum and to get that breakthrough. Okay, so there's one more important piece to this. Oh, let me back up. I should say this. Resolutions, and and I kind of go back and forth about New Year's resolutions. And some years I have some. Some years I'm like, yeah, and I did five out of ten. I don't know. Because I kind of have a, like, I want to check them off. I want, like, lists of of resolutions because I just love checking stuff off. And so it can be, like, like undermining to my own like mental health and well-being when I don't accomplish what I set out to because Enneagram one, which Enneagram is like something and nothing depending on what you believe about it. Um, it we're, we are perfectionists is one of the shadow sides of it. So I need it. I need to check all the lists. And so if resolutions are helpful to you, that's great. I get that. If they're not and they kind of intimidate you, that's totally cool too. Um, what I would recommend if you're looking for something to put in place that is grace-filled and non-condemning is our community's rule of life. So the Mosaic rule of life is a set of habits and practices that we put in place. And we're going to dig into that a lot more this year and go through some more of those uh, practices. But those are things that you can put in place and, and do an audit of the things that you already do to seek God and to maybe introduce a couple practices in a couple areas of your life. So that you build a rhythm, a sustainable rhythm throughout the year. So you can check that out. We've got those. They're all actually on the doors in the back. Or you can go to mosaicmhk.com slash rule of life and download a digital copy. So all with this, there's one more important thing that I want to mention. And I want to take us back to the book of Joshua. In Joshua 4, after they had, they had crossed over, um, in, in verse 1 it says this. The whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan. The Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as signs, uh, a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So when you cross over, for wherever God is taking, has taken you into that land flowing with milk and honey. We're also called to remember what the Lord has done. We are, let's be honest, we're fickle, we're easily discouraged, we're forgetful creatures. And God knows this. So often in the scriptures, it's, it calls us to remember the Lord your God. Remember what God has done for you. And so we're supposed to bring that out and set that out in front of us and celebrate that. Because what you celebrate, you recreate in your life. What you get excited about, what you get joyful about, what you can't contain yourself and you're telling others about, often sets us up to recreate that in our lives. 
Haven't, haven't you noticed, though, that when negative cycles are broken, God doesn't wipe your memories all of a sudden. He doesn't hit a hard reset on your mental hard drive, right? God can use that faulty foundation, whatever happened to you, good or bad or lukewarm in the past, and he is so powerful, he can build on that into the future. He can use that foundation and take it to the next step, to the next level, right? And not only that, those memories of what you've been through serve as reminders of what God still wants to do in your life and what he wants to do in the lives of others around you. Something you need to know about the Jordan River, right? Because I, I don't know, when I read the Bible at a, you know, 20, 15 years ago, whatever, I had this image of like this pristine mountain river, clear to the bottom, seeing the fish swim all the way through. The Jordan River is muddy. It looks like a Kansas River in most of the parts. And so think about this. When those 12 men are grabbing, you know, boulders and hoisting them up on their backs to carry them across, they're not nice, white, limestone, pristine, dry. It's like mossy and like it hasn't seen the light of day and ages and ages. Just think about What's sitting at the bottom of Tuttle Creek Lake right now that hasn't seen daylight in decades? Those are the kind of things that those men took over and sat in a heap. And they're supposed to take their sons and their daughters and go, let me tell you about God based on this heap of mucky rocks. But you can relate to that, right? The mucky rocks, those are, that's us. That's what we've been through. That's what's been done to us. That's how we responded. That's the trauma. That's the history. That, that is us. And I love that about God. Is that he doesn't take the, the nice, the gentle, the, the, the unused. It's, it's the, the chip, jagged, mucky, muddy rocks. And he sets them up and says, tell everybody about me. And in fact, when I think about it, you know, uh, this time of year that, that, like I said, that week between Christmas and New Year's, I kind of find myself on social media a little bit more. I got a little bit more flexible time. You know, what comes up on Facebook every day is memories. You know, you have access to some memorial rocks in your feed every so often, or if you have a phone, you, you, you know, pulls up like, this is what happened to you on this day, seven years ago, right? You're reminded you're going, my kids, how are they that small? I remember that onesie. That's amazing. My wife, she's still that beautiful. She's amazing. You're amazing. Like, you just go, oh, and then you swipe over and you go, oh, no. That person? That person. I remember what they did to me. I remember what they said about me. I remember the betrayal. I remember being in that mental health state that no one else knew about. I remember. And, and you have that sense of like regret, betrayal. And, and the, the challenge is to not give into bitterness and rage and anger based on what comes across your app or your social media feed based on who you were. Like sometimes because we live uh, in a spiritual you know, dimension, there are actual spirits. There's darkness attached to, to memories from our past. The, har- the difficulty is not indulging in them and letting them suck us back into the past. You can actually say, I don't live there anymore. 
That's not who I am. I bless that person. You can be really kind to yourself and the person that you were. You can thank God for the healing and the breakthrough that you've got since then. But what we don't want to do is indulge ourselves in the memorial rocks, walk past them and point out everybody else's flaws and get bitter about it. We want to bless God and say, thank you for taking me this far. And I have a lot further to go, but I know you can get me there because of what we've been through together already. I don't live there anymore. And I'm so glad for that. Okay? That's why it's important to share your story. To have a story, your your memorial rocks, to not keep those to yourselves. There are people in your life that need to hear about God through you. Not just a a bridge diagram or a couple steps to to get to know God better, but actually your story about where you were before you crossed over and how you're still a a work in progress and there are many more crossings over that God's going to bring you through. There are people with mental health issues, physical ailments, doubts, deconstruction going on right now that need to know I've been there too and I think I can help you take a couple steps, though I don't know it all. They need to hear that part of encouragement. We need to remember. And for the sake of those around us, tell the story of God's activity in our life, even if it's unfinished. We love the before and after. Before Jesus, I was a mess. After Jesus, I'm great now. I'm just telling you, I don't actually know those people. And I've never lived that life myself. I've had a day where I'm like, I'm great. And then the next day is like, what happened, right? People need to go, need to hear from you. Before Jesus, I was a mess. Now, I'm a little bit less of a mess, but I'm a lot more joyful about life and about God. And I have hope and I have a a, a purpose and a plan, right? In fact, one of the most important rituals of the community of God that we have, and and let me me pause and back up. It's no no coincidence, coincidence that Jesus got baptized in the Jordan River, calling back to Israel crossing over. As he was inviting this new people into this new covenant. And so we, we participate in the waters of baptism ourselves as a sacrament. But we also have another sacrament that Jesus gave us that calls back to a time of utter brutality, utter betrayal. And Jesus sits and, and, and he welcomes his friends on that night. And we'll practice communion. We'll receive it here in a, a few moments. But on that night before he went to the cross, he gathered his friends knowing that he would be betrayed and that all of them would abandon him. And still yet he invites and welcomes them to have a Passover meal. And he says, I love you as the father has loved me. I love you. And around those circumstances and that context, he sets up the greatest memorial that we have to offer each other and the world, which is the Lord's Supper. He says this in Luke 22. He took bread and he gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance. Do this in remembrance. Of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And so, from this Passover meal, we get our sacrament of communion. We partake in the Lord's Supper regularly because we want to remember. It's not a check the box thing, it's not just we do it because we do it thing. We do it to remember Jesus 
and the crossing over that he welcomes us all into. It calls us back to those words of Jesus and the new life that he has bought for us with his own life. And the fact that he says, I will not partake of this until the new age when I can do so again with you, with all of us. And so when we, uh, we're going to do communion here in a moment. So I'll, I'll invite the worship team and the communion servers up. And I want to, I want you to consider, ask yourselves these two questions to put this into practice. How is God prompting me to set myself apart this year? What do I need to remember about how he has moved in my life in the past? So how is God prompting you to surrender and consecrate yourself? And what do you need to do to remember? It could be a journaling practice. It could be going through some of those photo memories and thanking God for those moments and seasons of breakthrough. Whatever it is for you, I encourage you this week, take some time to really consider how God is moving you. So I'll have you stand with me. Thank you for listening to the Mosaic Church podcast. For more teachings, resources, and other news, please visit mosaicmhk.com.